Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, chaplain, professor, writer, and speaker. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. In this episode, Aaron discusses the continued erosion of the mind as Western countries abandon God's laws, leading to deranged responses to the world issues. We've entitled it, Monkeypox, Travel Bans, and Handguns. I'm your guest host, Eric Oltrop, and I'm filling in for Chris Yellen while he's on a much-deserved vacation. Okay, so our first question uh, relates to Romans 1, uh, and Romans 1 offers a scathing critique of where humans end up when they abandon God. Can you comment on that passage and tie it into our topic today? Yeah, well, thanks, Eric, and we do appreciate you helping out on the podcast today. I've been thinking a lot about Romans 1 as every day I open up the news feed and people send me articles and I see what's going on in our culture. There's really, uh, it's not an understatement or an overstatement to say that we live in an insane world, a world that seems to have really like lost its mind. The stuff we hear coming out of the mouths of officials and elected politicians, it's just astonishing some of the things that they say. Frankly, I, I and this is a biblical word, by the way, so don't be thrown off by it. The stupidity of the establishment politicians, especially in our culture today, is perhaps even unprecedented in modern or perhaps in Western history. This, the stuff that's said, the stuff that they comment on is really ridic- ridiculous. And we're going to expose some of that today and help people to think through the issues. But yeah, Ro- Romans 1 is interesting. Uh, we, we, we have this very fascinating passage in, in, in the fr- opening chapter there of uh, Romans 1 where uh, the... The writer indicts godless humanity who has denied the gospel. By the way, at the beginning of Romans 1 there, a little little bit into it, Paul talks about the fact that he's not ashamed of the gospel, but then his approach is contrasted to the godless. So when a person, this is really critical for people to understand, when a person denies the truth of God and the truth of the living gospel, you literally start to lose your mind. Your IQ drops, you could say. It says there in that passage that people suppress the truth. They actually push it down. So the truth is not hard to find. But at that truth, which God has revealed through himself, through his character, through his holy word, through his apostles, through his prophets, through creation itself, is suppressed by the godless. So when a person says, like, I'm not going to act like a creature, I'm not, I'm not going to acknowledge that there's a creator. I'm going to act like God. I'm going to make my own rules. I'm going to be governed by my own law. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do what feels best to me. What happens is that affects your mind. The passage says that the things of God are clearly perceived. They're so clearly perceived, Eric, that we are without excuse. We, we will never be able to stand before God and say, God, you didn't give us enough revelation. You didn't come through for us. You were concealing it. You were hiding it. That's never going to happen. We have enough truth given to us in creation, in special revelation, to know that there is a God. And anyone that says there's not a God is denying that which is evident. They're suppressing it. The strange thing is, is that Romans chapter one exposes their hypocrisy. So on one hand, while godless people do everything in their power to suppress the truth of God, which is again, clearly perceived. They at the same time claim to be wise. Now I've thought about that in relationship to our culture. So I look at, let's say the MPs that stand up in front of parliament and they spout off about travel bans or they spout off about one of them. We'll probably comment on this later was stood up in parliament and was talking about vaginas and vulvas. We need to we need to erase the stigma around vaginas and vulvas. This is the solution to the world's problems. She, she goes on. She makes herself look like a complete clown. The, these are the kind of people that claim to be wise. And in our culture, people that want to be wise, I mean, they'll 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 use language like enlightenment. You know, we're we're an enlightened generation. No, we're a stupid generation. Actually, they refer to science. 
they appeal to the experts. Okay, a lot of these experts couldn't think their way out of a wet paper bag. I mean, their minds are confused because they might have some knowledge of biological science or law, but because they have abandoned God and there's no real foundation to their to their worldview and there's no foundation to the things that they think are are right or wrong, all that comes out of their mouth increasingly is nonsense. But in our culture, as you know, Paul, just as Paul indicted the first century Romans. It's the same today. We think we're so smart. We think we're so wise. We think we're so enlightened. We think we're so technologically advanced. We think we're so intellectually sophisticated. But but apart from God, we're actually fools. And so out of that depraved mind that Paul speaks about in Romans chapter one comes creature worship, which we see in the world today comes all forms of deviant sex where women are giving up natural relations with men and they're inflamed with lust for one another. We see that today. It's the same thing. And so what God does is when he looks down and he sees that they've rejected his his person and his rules and his moral commandments, he actually, the Bible says, gives them up to a debased mind, which then opens the door for a flood of other evil practices. And the text lays those out, murder, strife, malice, etc., And as a result of that, humanity is rightly deserving of divine justice. And so God shows up and he he basically meets out the due punishment for human depravity, for human sin. Now, that's that's kind of the sequence of Romans chapter 1. The gospel's declared. Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. God makes truth known. People suppress the truth, even though it's clearly perceived. They 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 lie about it. They they try to position themselves as wise, as enlightened, as well well educated, as experts when they're actually fools. And then they just fall headlong into the worship of self or the worship of some other created thing, because we all worship something. And then morally, we just, the floodgates open and you have all sorts of deviant sex that is affirmed. The mind falls apart. Out of that murder, strife, malice comes, and we rightly deserve the, the judgment of God. Now, I, I want to emphasize this. It's in evangelicalism and reform circles, we often emphasize, even in our preaching, the effects of sin upon the heart. Now, the heart is actually a term that's comprehensive for the whole internal being, but we often think of sin as having effect on our emotions, and it sort of skips our minds. But actually, sin affects our minds without a baseline for truth, without a baseline, without some starting points, like there is a God, there is right, there is wrong, this is right, this is wrong, this is what you should do, this is what you shouldn't do. Without those boundaries and borders and foundation stones, our minds begin to fall apart. We begin to contradict ourselves. We have trouble thinking through the issues of life. We fall headlong into chaos. So it's noteworthy to emphasize that one of the critical results of godlessness, of the rejection of God, is on the mind. The mind is no longer ordered the mind is no longer in control of the body. So the body just follows its own lustful instincts because it's not bridled by the mind. For example, a horse, right? Or even if you're walking your dog, you put a, a leash on or you put a bridle on a horse because the animal has energy. The animal wants to move forward, but it could just go anywhere. So when you walk your dog, you put a, le- a collar on it and a leash on it. The, the, it. the collar and the leash don't help the dog to walk, but they help the dog to walk in the right direction. So it doesn't, you know, run off and bite someone or do its business on someone's lawn, whatever it might be. This, that's, that's how God's law, that's how God's word works. I mean, we're alive, we're moving, we can't help but think, but God's law puts a leash in our mind. It restrains it. It put, puts boundaries on it. It controls our behavior. But if you, if you take the leash off and people just do whatever they want, whatever they feel, there's no, there's no boundaries, there's no borders, there's no leash, then you, you, your body becomes out of control. You just give yourself to whatever 
crazy sexual thought happens to cross your mind. You also subject yourself to fear and anxiety. I've said this before. Obviously, there's people that get into catastrophic accidents. They have brain damage. And because of that, things get messed up in their biology and they wrestle with anxiety and fear. But I'm absolutely convinced that the, the vast majority of people in our culture today who, who are debilitated by fear, by anxiety, by depression, it's because they have stinking thinking. Something's wrong with their minds, not, not so much organically, although the spiritual can lead to organic deficits, but it's because their, their mind is devoid of life-giving truth. So um, what we're going to, I think, see in an increasing way is the world will increasingly be filled with undiagnosed madmen. And these undiagnosed madmen, people won't quite know why. They won't be able to put their finger on it. But you're going to see more and more foolishness, more and more clownish behavior in education, in law, even in our courts, in, in jurisprudence. You're going to see more and more nonsense come out. And where I want to kind of go as we move through this episode is I want, I want to reinforce to people there's actually a solution to this. We need to bring God's laws, God's principles, God's rules, God's precepts, God's person back into culture, not as a means of salvation. Okay, that it, The law, the rules of God don't save. In fact, they reveal our own inadequacy, but they still provide boundaries, fences. They provide the leash for the dog, the bridle for the horse. They only bless. They help us to think more clearly. They help us to process the things of life. But the longer the Christian church in particular refuses to speak God's truth into culture and just keep it within the confines of their four walls, the more nonsense we're going we're gonna to see in culture. Some God is going to take the place of the true and living God. Some law is going to take the place of God's eternal law. And we're going to continue to experience you know, disaster and foolishness and, and, and hear more and more stories about all the uh, ridiculous ideologies and so-called solutions to the world's problems that people regularly peddle. Yeah, Romans 1 is certainly prevalent, as prevalent today as it was back when Paul wrote it. Um, we can see that literally playing out in front of our eyes today. Um, so you've entitled this episode, Monkeypox, Travel Bans, and Handguns. So I assume there's a tie-in. So let's start with monkeypox. How is monkeypox tied to a debased feudal mind? Well, you're starting to see more and more news articles come out about monkeypox, and they're sounding... COVID-ish, uh, you know, there's there might be pandemic, it's going to spread, you know, you need to be careful. Now, scientists are admitting that it's not as deadly of a disease as COVID, but they're still concerned about it. It's, it's a little more hideous looking. You get like bumps on you and it just kind of looks pretty gross. They're already talking about vaccines, maybe using the smallpox vaccine, which is apparently a related disease. But what I want to focus on is not the science of monkeypox, what I want to focus on is how the media and culture responds to the issues of our world. And I want to use this to illustrate, I want to use monkeypox to illustrate yet again, in case people haven't locked into this yet, that there is so much bias in the establishment. There's bias in the World Health Organization. There's bias in mainstream media. And we need to learn as Christians to be careful what we believe. You know, when we were kids, we're like, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little ears what you hear. We need to be careful what we hear. We need to be careful what we see. We need to be careful what we believe. Too many Christians, I think, were duped during the last pandemic. It's like, well, you know, physicians wouldn't lie to me. Governments wouldn't lie to me. This is a serious disease. Well, clearly they they have. And now we have... COVID-19 uh, or, or the monkeypox sort of replacing COVID-19 in the media's attention. So here we have, you know, on the tail of COVID, pardon the pun, uh, the, the, the monkeypox being reported. Now, if you paid careful attention to how COVID-19, the pandemic was reported and worked out, we now know that it was exaggerated. Okay, the all, all of the predictions uh, that the science experts made telling us how many people are going to die. We didn't even come close to those. So it was exaggerated. 
most people that I speak to still have never even met anybody that's died of COVID-19. The vaccines we now know are over-promoted and under-performed. Over-promoted and under-performed. Every couple of weeks, I jump on the Windsor Regional Hospital's website where I live, and there's a red banner at the top. I think it's red. You click on it, and it just kind of brings up a nice little chart that says how many people are in the hospital being treated with COVID-19, how many like exclusive with COVID-19, how many are in ICU. There's virtually nobody. I think this week there's actually literally zero who are unvaxxed who are in the ICU or being treated for COVID-19. It's all vaccinated people. So many people were duped to think that the vaccine was the the solution to everything. Uh, By the way, you might be interested in knowing that in British Columbia this week, uh, the first, I think it's, I think in Canada, it's the first case where someone with proven vaccine injury from the AstraZeneca vaccine actually received a settlement. I think that's going to be increasingly the case. These settlement dollars aren't going to be paid by Big Pharma who pocketed the money from the sale of the vaccine. They'll be paid by you and me, by taxpayers through the government in all likelihood. So I think we're going to increasingly see that people that were forced or coerced or just ran out and got the vaccine without doing their research or just hitting the pause button for a moment. So we now know it's a fact. You're not going to hear it emphasized too much in the mainstream media but they're hinting at it. The vaccines were overpromoted and underperformed. And we all know that many of the rules that were given, the quote unquote science rules, you got to wear a mask, you got to wear a mask, you got to wear it here, you got to wear it there, you should wear two masks, you should put a visor on, you should put gloves on, you got to stay six feet away, you can't go to church, you got to close your small businesses, you can't risk people's lives by leaving the country, you can't get on a plane, train, or someone else's automobile. These were coercive and manipulative. These had nothing to do with science. They were coercive, manipulative, manipulative, largely idiotically reinforced rules. So here's the point. You didn't get the full truth with the coronavirus pandemic. What you want to do, what you don't want to do is make the same mistake twice. So I wonder, is monkeypox going to be different? No, I'm going to give, I want to give two exhibits. So on June 1st of this week, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, basically the state-funded media in Canada, produced an article, and the article was entitled Monkeypox Warnings Went Ignored, and Now the World Must Brace for More Outbreaks, Scientists. Now, I, I, love, the, I love the word brace there because it's so dramatic, right? It just strikes fear into your heart, folks. COVID's coming. We're all going to die. Hundreds of thousands of people are going to die. Stay home, stay safe. It's the same rhetoric. It's that it's exaggerated language. It's fear mongering language. But in this article, I want to, I want to read a, a portion out of it. It, the article is quite, it's quite lengthy. I posted the, uh, the links on Facebook, but here, here's what it says. This is CBC. Okay. So quote, The clear spike in infections occurred as globalization increased. Humans continued encroaching on animal habitats. And cross-protection offered from decades-old smallpox immunization campaigns began to wane. Given that perfect storm, many scientists were shocked by the recent emergence of monkeypox in other countries around the world, end quote. That's just one, one section of that article. I, I, it's, it was noteworthy to me that it talked about encroaching on an animal habitats, right? Because there's this bit, kind of this ecological movement to segregate the rest of nature from humanity. Let's pack people into these cities and let's kind of leave nature undisturbed. So there's a little, I think there's a little bit of a, an indication of the worldview of the writer. But in that article, it's interesting, more than once they quote from the World Health Organization sources. World Health Organization says this or World Health Organization says that to help the reader understand what monkeypox is and how it's transmitted. But then if you go to the World Health Organization website, there's an article that was written a week before this. So this article came out on June 1st. Six days before, WHO wrote an article, and I'll I'll comment on that in a minute, 
providing a very specific warning to to the gay community. And by the way, I don't, I personally, just as a sidebar, I don't like to call the gay community a community because it's not a community. There's no community. Uh, it's not like an ethnic group. You know, it's it's various people engaged in in this kind of behavior. But they wrote an article basically indicating that this disease has largely been spread because of homosexual, deviant sexual, non-creational sexual behavior. Surprise, surprise, just like AIDS, right? So are there people in the world that are heterosexual or non-gay that have suffered from AIDS? Yeah, but where did it originate? It originated within homosexual behavior. And it's fascinating, by the way, that this is how it works. When, when humanity abandons God's creational design for human sexuality, you can expect more diseases. You can expect more diseases. You can expect more death. You can expect more destroyed lives. But we don't seem to learn this lesson. It's obvious. The scientists on a certain level seem to acknowledge it, but then they're always hedging their bet. Yeah, but let's not be judgmental. Yeah, but let's not stigmatize people. Why not? Why not say that if you do A and B occurs, it's probably not a great idea to do A. I mean, they do this when it comes to the pandemic, right? If you have a cough, stay home to stay safe so you don't spread the disease. You know, wash your hands. Don't cough in someone's face. Stay away from people with COVID-19. How about stop having gay sex? That would be a solution to many of these diseases that have erupted around the world. So let me go back to the WHO article because I'm getting a little ahead of myself. In this WHO article, it states, quote, an outbreak of a disease called monkeypox is happening in some countries where the virus is not typically found. Some of these cases are being found in communities of gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men. Transgender people and gender diverse people may also be more vulnerable in the context of the current outbreak, end quote. Now, there, this article doesn't say, you know, the, the, the disease is being spread by sex. Men having sex with women, women having sex with men, men having sex with men, people having sex with animals, whatever it might be. It's specifically about deviant non-creational sex and people who tend to be part of these quote-unquote so-called communities who are especially susceptible to this disease. So it seems fairly clear that just, just as homosexual practices led to the the massive increase in AIDS in the 1980s, these kind of practices, which the World Health Organization refuses to outright challenge as being unhealthy. I mean, they don't even have to make a, a moral statement on it. They don't, they don't even have to say it's wrong, but why don't they put it in an article that says, this is not, this is not a healthy behavior. Okay. It's, it's not healthy to practice sodomy. It's not healthy to be a sexually promiscuous heterosexual. It's not healthy to engage in bestiality, whatever deviant sexual activities people, people choose to participate in. We know they're wrong, but they're also just not healthy. And it's clear. It's obvious. Okay, if a man and a woman re remain virgins until marriage and only have sex with one another, what are the chances of them catching a sexually transmitted disease? Zero. It's not going to happen unless they pick it up on a toilet seat or something someplace. Uh, it's not going to happen. It's and, and surprise, surprise, another example of where following God's laws, let the marriage bed be pure and undefiled, following God's laws, reserving human sexual behavior for the marriage bed, which by the way, is far more exciting than promiscuous non-heterosexual sex. When we cast aside God's laws, there's always disaster. Now, coming back to the CBC article, the CBC journalist had access to that information for six days before they wrote their June 1st article. Never mentioned it. Mentioned WHO. Never mentioned the article. Why would CBC not forward that warning to the quote-unquote gay community. 
because it's not politically correct. Oh, so now we have science being contaminated with political correctness? No. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. So what you what you have here is you don't get the full truth. So wouldn't it wouldn't it be if they're going to be consistent, wouldn't they have said, "Okay, last year when the pandemic was raging, we were advising stay-at-home orders, close churches, close your small business." Why wouldn't you say, "Hey, stay at home, at least suspend your gay sex activities?" Don't don't be having sex outside of marriage. It's a pandemic. It's a problem. No, no, no. We can't infringe on the gay community. Instead, we're going to have Pride Month. We're going to actually celebrate behaviors that are not only non-creational, but actually contribute to global pandemics. Actually contribute to death. We're going to celebrate that. We're going to march in the streets. You're going to see this, Eric, this month in June... You're going to see this. many of the same politicians that were all concerned about the hospitals being over, overwhelmed and all concerned about your health and doing the right thing for your neighbor. Don't, don't, don't go to church. Don't open your small business. Marching in the gay pride parades, literally celebrating behaviors that are incredibly risky, risky even from a medical scientific perspective. Again, set the morality aside if you'd like. From a medical scientific perspective, these are not healthy behaviors. So I think it's an example here of where truth gets obscured when people fail to acknowledge the truths of God. It's just another Romans 1 example. It's, it's a CBC suppresses the truth in unrighteousness and seeks to promote anti-creational, anti-Christ, anti-God so solutions to help you to to you know live large, to live with a radical view of unboundaried freedom, and it's just so destructive. It's sad. It's frustrating, but it's also sad. And then what's going to happen is because because um, folks who practice these deviant forms of human sexuality will eventually pass it on to heterosexuals or people that aren't practicing them. They're, the, the consequences of their decisions are going to affect people that weren't directly involved in these activities, just like with HIV. So we just need to be reminded ourselves and we need to be vigilant in communicating this to others. Non-creational sexual activity is destructive. We need to sit down with our children and remind them of that. We're not trying to be killjoys by putting boundaries on your sexual behavior. The reason why we don't want you viewing porn, the reason why we don't want you sleeping with your girlfriend or boyfriend, the reason, reason why we want you to be faithful to your marriage, the reason why we want you to restrain lustful thinking is because God is benevolent and God is good and his laws only bless and they only bring life and liberty and hope and freedom and they build relationships. Deviant sexual activity will destroy you. You're not going to hear that from CBC. You're not going to hear it directly from the World Health Organization. They might identify the the problem, but they're not going to encourage you to change your behavior because it's not politically correct. Now, one more point to this under this subject, Eric. We're actually seeing something good take place in culture. We're seeing the a lot of these movements that are anti-creational and anti-God starting to crumble. So the feminists of the 1960s, which, which have had a heyday in promoting women and demoting men for the most part, instead of a beautiful complementarian ethic where both are made in the image and likeness of God and we're different, but but we complement one another, which is the biblical creational viewpoint. We've had this hyper emphasis on women being empowered and, you know, doing everything a man can do. And then the, the guys are left be, beside, you know, on the side of the road with no idea what it even means to be a man. That's starting to crumble now because now we have men stepping up saying, actually, I'm a woman. And I want to be part of your community. So now the very thing that was meant to supposedly 
promote and bless women has now cursed them because the, it's it's kind of funny in many respects. Feminism has now been hijacked by former quote unquote men. Or I should put the quotes around former, quote unquote former men. <laughs> and I was reading a, an article on the National Post this morning that was commenting on the upcoming gay pride marches in Toronto. And one guy said, I've, I've been attending these since, since 1982 and they're all falling apart. There's infighting, there's hatred, there's division. We're going to, we can sit back. These quote unquote communities, which are godless, lawless communities that have no true love at the center of their ethics, they're going to, they're, they're not only going to kill each other with their deviant behaviors, but ultimately uh, because it's devoid of benevolence and God, they're just all going to start to crumble and fall apart. There's going to be infighting and, and there already is and just chaos in a lot of these movements because they're, they really are stupid. They're nonsense. They're foolish. They're clownish. I'm not saying that to try to infuriate. Those, those are just proper descriptions of what these movements are like. And organizations like CBC and other mainstream media outlets aren't going to help. Which is why we can't fall <clears throat> into the into the trap of spiritual neutrality, like we've talked about before. Right? Uh, there is no such thing as spiritual neutrality, like you said. God's law always blesses Christians and non-Christians alike every time it's applied. Yeah. And when it's not, um, sin corrupts fully Christians and non-Christians alike. It there is no spiritual neutrality. There's either God's way or or uh, or sins way or our way the wrong way yeah and I'll just make a comment for those that might be newer to the podcast uh, we're preaching through Galatians right now in our church and Galatians you know kind of puts forward this message that salvation's by grace not by the law salvation's by grace not by the law so some people because they have sort of a negative view of the law they think that that's what we're talking about so just to bring clarity when we when we say that God's law needs to be recognized what we're saying is that. God's rules, principles, statutes, creational ideals, those are not a means of salvation. So why then do we encourage people to live by them both in the church and outside the church? Because we acknowledge that God is creator and those laws put boundaries on human behavior. Every nation is going to be governed by some law. Right. Every nation is sort of theonomistic whether it admits it or not. There's going to be a source that they go to, whether it's a parliament, a democratic vote, uh, a dictator, the Quran, the word of God. Every nation has to be governed by some rules. And God's rules are the best rules. And fortunately, you know, a lot of people think God is oppressive, but there's actually fewer rules in God's Bible to live by than there are in the modern state. The modern state just adds and adds and adds endless rules to try to govern behavior. They're like the legalistic Pharisees of old. They add rules because there's never enough rules to properly govern human behavior without a renovation of the heart. So we are inter we're interested in preaching the gospel and seeing people spiritually transformed. We're never in any way, shape, or form saying that the mission of the church is merely to moralize society or make people act like Christians, but to protect life and to, to place boundaries on human behavior, we're gonna say that God's laws are always better than man's laws. Now, to the degree that man's laws reflect God's laws, we're gonna support them. But when man's laws do not reflect or even contravene, contradict God's laws, then we're gonna speak out against them. So this isn't a salvation by works message. We're saved by grace through faith alone of the finished work of Jesus Christ, but Culturally and socially, we want there to be a reduction in murder, a reduction in suicide, a reduction in addiction, a reduction in homosexuality, a reduction in, in malice and envy and selfishness and greed and bigotry and financial mismanagement. And the beauty of the Bible is that the Bible provides the boundaries, the principles for us to live by, which bless the nations. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So moving on, let's talk about travel bans. How do they reveal a debased mind? Well, this week in our country, the federal conservatives introduced a motion to end all travel vans, bans. So if you're listening from another country, I just want you to be aware that in Canada, I think, I think we might be the only 
Western nations still doing this. I'm not entirely sure. But in Canada, unvaxxed people still cannot travel on public transport or leave the country. So if you're not vaccinated, basically, you know, someone's vaccinated if you see pictures of them on Facebook outside of Canada. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, can I just maybe say to those of you that are vaccinated, maybe kind of lay off on the social media pictures of you laying on a beach or in a far off place when some of your fellow countrymen whom you love and who love you and want to be united with you and care for you and you care for them are literally imprisoned in their own country. It might be just past little pastoral sensitivity there. Might not be a bad idea for you to keep those pictures to a minimum or at least, at least private. I think it has the potential to divide. I know some folks that aren't vaccinated have been quite offended by some folks that are vaccinated. They seem to just be kind of living their lives, moving on. Right. We're not saying that they can't travel, but maybe sort of highlighting your freedoms when some of your fellow countrymen are imprisoned is not the most sensitive. <laughs> My fiance and I were just talking about that. Oh, you were? Week. Yeah, yeah, we were, because we were, were trying to book a, a honeymoon and, you know, we'd love to, to travel somewhere exotic, but unfortunately we're not. You're not allowed. Yeah. Right. So the, the conservatives um, ditched their previous leader who was basically like a boat anchored anything conservative and they, they, they're, they're, they're in a leadership race and now all of a sudden, and, and I'm thankful for this, they seem to be more on the freedom side. So they introduced a bill to end all travel bans. Well, we're in June here. The hospital ICUs are not burdened with, with patients. Nobody's really even talking that much about COVID-19, but it failed. The motion failed. So 117 said yes. I think that was composed of conservative members of parliament and I think one liberal, one Quebec liberal member of parliament. And then 202, almost twice as many, said no. So that's the liberals, the Bloc Québécois, the Green, the New Democratic Party. And essentially two-thirds of our federal parliament voted to uphold the travel ban. So those of us that are unvaccinated are still stuck in our own country. Now, it's not the worst country in the world to be stuck in, but it's a violation of mobility rights. It's seg- it's uh, overt segregation, discrimination, and it's completely unnecessary. It's nonsense. Eric, these people are literally, this sounds like, exaggerated rhetoric, but these people are literally a threat to Western civilization. They have absolutely no respect for charter rights. They brag about democracy on election day. And after that, they act like tyrants. We're living in a country where our federal leaders believe they have the power and the courts virtually do nothing to help. And the queen does nothing. The queen Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II through the governor general or lieutenant general are supposed to be a check and a balance that if our charter rights are infringed, they're supposed to step in and do something. They do nothing. They say nothing. They're just figureheads. These people are a threat to Western civilization. I also mentioned earlier just, and I'm just illustrating how uh, there's no science behind the travel bans. There's no, there's no common sense behind the travel bans. They're just there. And two thirds of the members of parliament are okay with that. Apparently they're just, yeah, we're okay with that. We're okay with having no reason. We're okay with violating the Canadian charter of rights and freedoms. We're okay with that. What's your reason? We just don't want you to be able to travel. Well, when you look at that and you stack that decision on top of all the, uh, all the other Uh, statements that have been made, especially by our prime minister, that if you push back, you're the minority fringe, you're guilty of misinformation and disinformation that, and he often likes to talk about Canadians as if he speaks for everybody, that Canadians agree that the travel ban should continue. All these lies, all this rhetoric, it's not grounded in any sort of logic or science. I, I mentioned this earlier, this Pam Demoff. She stands up in parliament, I think within the last week or two. And 
she's talking about, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to recognize vaginas and vulvas and on and on and on. And we need to stop being in a culture where we, you know, we have trouble talking about vaginas and vulvas. Somehow she's tying this into women's rights. Like what? I'm sorry, but what a complete moron. What a fool. What a clown show the parliament has become. Now, the good thing about this nonsense. So when you have a member of parliament who's been elected to represent a whole community standing up and spouting up, it's just, it's nonsense. There's nothing thoughtful or intellectual or logical about what she's saying. It's just nonsense. When you start seeing these nonsensical decisions taking place in a country and respected members of parliament, an office that was, that is supposed to be respected and honored, people standing up saying the most ridiculous, off-the-wall, idiotic things. It says a lot about your culture. It says a lot about the debased mind within which we live. It says a lot about the reduction of the intellect, the reduction of the ability to think sequentially and logically and critically about the issues the school system, unfortunately, it doesn't help in this regard. Politicians and the way they act don't help to role model something different. Uh, higher institutions of higher education are, are practically a joke. Most people that go to pursue post-secondary education today will admit that they're, they're essentially just throwing their money down the toilet for a degree. They're not really getting educated. They're not getting filled with knowledge and wisdom. They're being indoctrinated into the most idiotic of ideologies. Now, that needs to be corrected. People need to start taking back these institutions of higher education. But, I mean, you have to have a lot of courage to do that. Now, the good thing is I'm predicting, and I'm I'm already seeing this because I have a lot of um, interaction with non-Christians that are part of sort of the freedom movement and standing up for charter rights. It's become so idiotic, so idiotic that leftist, these leftist ideologues are actually driving many of their former voters toward us. They're driving them toward Christianity. They're driving them toward, whether they know it or not, um, a reaffirmation of God's law word. And this is a good thing. I mean, when you, when you have a rainbow flag, and then that's not enough. So you have to add like a little triangle and with all sorts of other colors. Like at some point it's just like, this is ridiculous, right? This is just absurd. So it's when you have a member of parliament standing up talking about vaginas and vulvas, just spouting nonsense, God, even unbelievers who, who still have the residual impact of a former Christianized culture on them are like, okay, enough's enough. Like this, enough is enough. Like let's end this now. It's happening all over the Western world, though, and um, it, it's sad, it's laughable, it's frustrating, but also I think there's a silver lining in it and that the more absurd people get, the more of a joke their worldview will be revealed uh, to be. And you can see this in, uh, in prominent figures. I, I remember watching Bill Maher years ago, and it's absolutely wild that I would agree with anything he says socially yeah. <laughs> nowadays, but now he's, he even says, yeah, it's ridiculous that someone, a woman can claim to be a man when she's clearly not born that way. Um, mm-hmm. Same with Caitlyn Jenner too. Even she is, she is a transgender, but, or he's a transgender, but he even thinks that like transgenders shouldn't be allowed to compete in, in, uh, in the sports they identify as. So you yeah. can see that in prominent figures too, how they're even being pushed further to the right too. Right. So let's talk about uh, the handgun issue. Our prime minister and other Western leaders always seem to step forward and propose more laws whenever there's a mass shooting. Um, is it is this a good idea? Is this is this something we should um, embrace? Or what do you think about that? One of the mistakes that I think Christians or pro-gun advocates make is they they focus exclusively on uh, freedom to use guns as they want to use guns. Uh, they focus on good laws and bad laws. And we need we do need to engage in that discussion. But what I want to encourage people to do is to step back and see what is happening in the U.S. and Canada in particular with regard to guns in, in light of the bigger picture. So we know there was the 
tragic mass shooting in uh, Texas. And that triggered immediately, there again is a pun, didn't mean that. That triggered a uh, the anti-gun advocates to step forward in the U.S. Okay, let's ban assault rifles. Let's ban this. Let's ban that. And then our own prime minister in Canada steps up and he's like, we're banning handgun imports, handgun sales. And all of a sudden it becomes a debate about, hey, is it is it good to have any laws about guns? You know, Second Amendment stuff or in Canada here, you know, what are our, we had the long gun registry for a while. So there's these various attempts to shrink the pool of guns that people have access to. Now, I mean, we do need to talk about guns. I mean, we don't, I don't think it's in the best interest of any culture to allow six-year-olds to run around with rifles. I don't think it's in the best interest of any culture to allow a maniac that's just been released from a psychiatric hospital to walk through a mall with a machine gun. So we do need to talk about reasonable boundaries and rules and regulations, age-specific, et cetera, uh, to regulate what are potentially deadly weapons. But I am completely opposed to these ridiculous solutions. Let's ban handguns or let's ban rifles. That's going to fix the problems. That's going to reduce the mass shootings. People have had guns for centuries. And it's only in, in the last few decades we've seen these mass shootings even come onto the scene. But let's say we were successful in getting rid of all guns. What what would happen then is people would build bombs, and they already do on occasion. They would build bombs. Or, as happened in London, Ontario a year ago, a guy just drove his pickup truck right through a crowd of people. I mean, that would be an effective way of killing people. You know, you have various marches, various protests. You have large gatherings of people, maybe outside of a school or whatever. Almost everybody drives a car. What's to stop some lunatic from just driving through the crowd and killing a bunch of people? You don't need a gun to kill people. Now, this these Band-Aid solutions, the problem with these Band-Aid solutions is they, they, again, they just add legislation upon legislation and they refuse to deal with the heart of the issue. We live in a culture that's, as you know, very godless. It's... It's like neo-pagan. It's radically secular. These are not spiritually neutral worldviews. This is a very godless country. The U.S. is a very godless country. There's the people on the high, many people on high in high office are essentially neo-pagans. They're they're godless secularists, and they they don't have a moral compass to even point the population to. They they work against the plans of God. They work. They they seek to diminish the 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 rules that God has given us to govern human behavior. It's like the Ten Commandments are not allowed in many of our public institutions and in many of our public schools. Why? On the on the ten one of the Ten Commandments is you shall not murder. Wouldn't that be a good thing to remind kids of in public school? Let's get the Ten Commandments back in public school. These are creational, biblical, divine laws. What's the harm in looking up at a, a list of Ten Commandments in a public school wall every day? You know, don't blaspheme God. Don't Honor murder. your mother and father. Honor your father. How is that a bad thing? But these neo-pagan rulers is what they are. They they do everything in their possible and everything possible to to get God's laws and God's word out of the public realm, and then all of a sudden they're 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 gasping that someone would go into a school and shoot a bunch of people. And I, I've said this, you know, in my in my Twitter feed that gunlessness doesn't fix godlessness. Taking guns away from people doesn't fix godlessness. These are systemic spiritual issues and the neo-pagan establishment is actually contributing to them. Now there's also just uh you know, they're they're also in Canada. Here is is um, a lot of discrimination in these laws because Trudeau basically got up our prime minister and said, "Well, we're going to ban all these guns for bad people, but if you already have them, you can still have them." Well, how does he know who's good and bad? How does he know how they're going to be sold or distributed? Uh, has he not thought about the black market? It's just going to well, now now some criminal guy. What do you think he's going to do? Oh, guns are banned. I'm going to put my guns away. No, he's going to start importing them through black through the black market marking them up. And then you end up with a culture where 
the really, 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 really bad people have more guns and the, the righteous don't have guns. Like, what kind of a solution is that? Not to mention the fact that if you look at history, we have this undue trust in Western democracies. Oh, we would surely our country could never get to a point where the government would, you know, wreak havoc on the people. Really? Study history a little bit. Look what happened in Ottawa. We actually have politicians who believe that that what the what the mainstream media was saying about the the people in Ottawa that they're wreaking havoc and closing businesses and clogging up streets and wreaking havoc and trying to take down the government. It's all nonsense. I was there for six days total. It's all nonsense. The, we live in a dangerous time and the, the government, we need to remind the government, you're just people like us. You're appointed for a period of time to um, govern us, not rule us, but govern us. And I think it is a good check and balance. When I when I see a police officer with a gun, I'm not assuming he's going to pull it out and just randomly shoot me, but it it would certainly give me uh, grounds to pause if for some reason I was a bit of a maniac and I wanted to attack him. Like, this guy can defend himself. Right. And I think it's a good thing for the government. It's not a bad thing. I'll just say it. It's not a bad thing for the government to know that they're governing an armed population. It's not a bad thing. How is that a bad thing? It's a check and a balance in a broken world. An armed population... Uh, combined with an armed government is a good thing for everyone. So I think a lot of people are suspicious when they've seen government abuse to to sort of just hand over their handguns or hand over their long guns. But I don't, again, I don't want to spend a ton of time arguing like how many guns, how many rounds, who should have them, who shouldn't. What I want to point to is that we as Christians cannot get sucked into these short-term solutions without challenging the heart issues. So I want to point out a few other things that I see in culture. So in culture, we have this um, solutions-based approach to social issues. So there's a social issue. So let's say there's a mass shooting. So the solution is let's remove the instrument that the person used to take life. Let's get rid of guns. Um, We have... Increase in carbon emissions. So let's let's just get get rid of petrol cars. Like let's let's just put all these little band aid solutions. And there's debate as to whether these things are even helpful or not. And even in the short term, but all these band aid solutions. But then at the same time, we have a, a culture in a country that actually contributes to destruction and doesn't isn't willing to actually call people out for immoral behavior. So. You know how there's, uh, you know, there was the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously there's laws in place that you, you, you know, you can't just go, a man just can't go rape a woman, you can't just molest a, molest a young girl, whatever it might be. So we're like, okay, as a as a as a nation, we're gonna have all these laws in place to make sure people don't engage in this behavior, and. We're going to speak publicly, you know, in favor of women's rights and against molestation and abuse. But strangely, at the same time, we say nothing about violent, easily to access pornography. We live in a culture where a three-year-old has access to pornography. A 10-year-old has access to pornography. We give kids phones. They walk around literally at their fingertips. They have access to pornography. I mean, literally, it's like putting a porn magazine in your kid's lunch and saying, but don't look at it. This is even a lot of Christian parents, right? They just give their kids unfettered access to the internet. They're like, well, yeah, my little Johnny's not going to look at pornography. I can guarantee you that if he's 10 or 11 and you don't have any checks and balance in place, he's already looking. Absolutely. He's already looking. Like, don't be foolish. Don't be ignorant. You know, we were kids. If we had any access to pornography, it's because we would see a page of a porno book blowing down the road or something. We never had the internet. I mean, I, I, it's, it's shocking to me that parents don't monitor their children in this regard. Most of these kids don't even need cell phones anyway. But they, they give their kids unfettered access and... um. A lot of this stuff is violent. It's, I mean, all pornography is 
evil, but a lot of it advocates not only sex outside of marriage and ad, you know promotes lust and all this sort of stuff, but it's it's homosexual, it's bestiality, it's violence. So the average young Canadian boy whose lifestyle is not restrained or constrained by God's law, who doesn't have a moral compass, is 100% looking at pornography. He's being exposed to all sorts of godlessness and garbage and images that will, by the way, destroy his capacity to even enjoy sex later in life. But all this violence, and he's he, nobody's saying anything. Parents aren't restraining him. The government has no laws in place. There's no censorship on that. You get censored if you speak out against Justin Trudeau, but you don't get censored for what you view on the internet. And then we're like, yeah, but at the same time, so I want you to, to see and know at the age of 10 or 11, every form of deviant sex that's out there, but make sure you don't touch any girls without their consent. It's absurd. It's again, it's foolishness. It's clownishness. It's stupidity. We have uh, pedophilia on the rise. Well, what do you expect? We sexualize children. You see parents with little girls on the beach getting comfortable with bikinis. You know, the six-year-old's comfortable with the bikini, so the 16-year-old's going to be comfortable with the bikini. And the 16-year-old's bikini is going to be a lot more, uh, you know, it'll have a lot less fabric than the six-year-old's bikini. So we sexualize our children even a lot of this anime stuff, which I'm increasingly convinced about, this Japanese cartoon stuff that a lot of young guys seem to be into, a lot of it is sexual. It And it's sexualized in such a way that you have this image of a scantily clad woman, but she's kind of drawn like a, like a little girl. Like a kid, yeah. Yeah. So it the anime figures look like children, but... You know, they got the big breasts and, uh, you know, they're wearing this um, skimpy clothing or whatever. Well, in in a subtle way, you're communicating to a lot of the, the young people that are into this stuff. You're making a psychological connection between <clears throat> children and sex, children and sex, children and sex. And then you're like, yeah, but don't be attracted to little girls or don't be attracted to little boys. Well, maybe... Maybe we need to deal with one of the key influencers in this regard. Um, we have uh, men being told, you got to respect a woman. Don't slap women. Don't hit women. Don't. But then on your video games, you can play the role of the big, burly, broad-shouldered warrior. And you're in this full-on combat with generally a scantily clad, extremely competent, sexy looking woman where you punch her in the face and stab her in the heart. She can stab you and you can shoot each other up. So that's in your fantasy, in your fantasy world, you can beat on women. You can shoot women. You can go into hand to hand combat with women, but in real life, we want you to be very respectful. This is the, this is a culture that has lost its mind. It doesn't really want to fix the issues. It just wants to put band-aids on things. And unfortunately, we're going to need about a million more laws and a million more police officers to govern our, our country if we don't start dealing with these systemic issues, which are matters of the heart, which is a matter, which is a matter of we've, we've chased God out of public discourse. We've chased God out of politics. Some churches have chased God out of their church. We've chased his law out. We've chased God's law out of our schools we're now suffering the consequences of that, and we think that laws are going to fix it, and they won't. That's legalism. That's the same problem that Jesus pointed out with the Pharisees. There'll never be enough laws. Yeah, there'll never be enough. So that's the world within which we we find ourselves, um, Eric, and it's it's uh, it's it's difficult to see. Now, I I think it's important having exposed some of these lies to help people think through some solutions. So I, I want to again emphasize, I was thinking about this this week, God's law is good. God is benevolent. In the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter through, two, uh, Genesis chapter three, sorry, the fundamental characteristic of God 
that the serpent challenged was the goodness of God. God's not good. He's holding out on you. He's a cosmic killjoy. And he knows when you're, you know, he knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God. So what he does is he plants this seed in Adam and Eve's hearts that says, that asks the question, is God really good? Maybe his laws are restrictive. Maybe his laws are bad. Maybe his laws are unnecessary. And so they do their own thing and they plunge themselves and all of human history into sin. So God comes on the scene and he, you know, he's a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And he also expects obedience and he puts laws in place to put boundaries on human culture and also to reveal our own inadequacy to perfectly live up to those laws so that we could be positioned for grace, understand the value of grace. But if you look at all the laws, let's say into the old covenant, I believe there's 613 laws that have been identified. You know, we get the 10 commandments, the Decalogue, and then we have many, many more. So let's say 600-ish laws. That's fewer laws, still far, far fewer laws than we have in Canada. If you add up municipal laws, provincial laws, federal laws, I tried to find out how many there are. Couldn't find a number, but there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of laws that have been passed in our country and in other Western countries. And that's human nature. Human nature is to reject God's benevolent laws and to embrace man-made laws under the premise that our officials love us and have our best interests in mind. But it never works out that way. God's laws protect us and they bless nations. But the government's laws are like a slowly tightening noose. They start to choke the life out of you. Uh, they, They try to enslave us. They try to control every decision that you make so you become a mindless beast. They control every aspect of their lives. We'll hear Western leaders talk all the time about freedom and democracy, but they don't act like that. If if God never allowed us to make any decisions, never allowed us to move without a permit, without a certificate, without some official authorization, we would rightly say, God, you're you're kind of oppressive here, kind kind of tyrannical. That's not what God does. He builds the fences. He he boundaries the field. And he allows us to work within those boundaries. So in marriage, we're allowed to have sex. We're allowed to have sex as often as we want. We're allowed to have sex as little as we want, right? We're allowed to engage in sexual intercourse. There's not like a specific rule book that says, you know, these are all the things you can do and these are the things you can't do. Obviously, there's people can sin within their own marriages. I'm not suggesting that, but it's not like we have the detailed rules that govern every little aspect of our sexuality or every little aspect of our speech, but there are rules that govern it. But with pagan, neo-pagan governments that have tossed out God, they think they know better and they want to control everybody's behavior right down to, well, you got to have a tag uh, around the, the neck of your dog. Why? Oh, just because we want a registry of uh, how many dogs are in our municipality. Yeah, but what's the point of it? Well, I don't know, in case they get lost. Well, can I make my own tag? Well, I suppose you could, but we make tags better than you do. So you need one of our tags and make sure you get your dog tag. Why? In some municipalities, you have to have a permit to cut down a tree. Why? Well, because we love trees. Well, I love trees too. Doesn't everybody love trees? Like I'll plant some more trees. But these are these are examples, Eric, of where, uh, you know, to drive in most provinces or states, you get some sort of a beginner's permit. You have to write a test. Then you go for some sort of a driver's test. You get a, a driver's license. Then it's often graduated. So you got to go back for another driver's, the same driver's test you passed a year or two earlier to get a higher license. And then when you buy your car, you got to go to the license bureau and register it because the government has to know what car you own and you got to pay tax on it, by the way. And then that's not enough to have your car with its VIN number registered at the ministry. You have to have a license plate on it because we want to be able to identify it in public in short form. And then the plate's not enough. You got to have a sticker in the right-hand corner that coincides with your birthday to make sure that you made a visit there every year or two. Why? 
It's nonsense, but we just add, if I treated the people in my church, if I, if I was as oppressive to the people in my church as the government is on the citizens with civil law, I would be rightly called a cult leader and a legalistic Pharisee. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is what Western culture has become when it's human nature to balk God's laws and accuse him of tyranny while readily embracing the endless litany of laws passed down by supposedly benevolent state officials, many of whom are not benevolent and they're certainly not omniscient. They don't even know what they're doing. So we need to remind people and remind our culture, the only true benevolent ruler is God and his goal is delivering us from slavery, from the effects of sin, not to put us back into legalism, but to offer us freedom within the boundaries of his loving and benevolent rule. And it blows my mind that more Christians don't understand this. Why on earth, why on earth is the Christian church so scared of reminding government leaders there's actually a better law which will bless the nations. There's actually a better law, which will restrain evil. It's, it's founded in the gospel of Jesus Christ and it's expressed all through scripture that will put boundaries on behavior that will allow for just courts, just governance. Blows my mind that so many people, oh, we don't want to talk about law because people are going to think we're, you know, it's by, by works. It's not by works at all. Like think more clearly. It's not by works at all that people are saved. It's not by works of a law. It's not that kind of law. It's a law that restrains and blesses and positions us to actually live in line with the freedoms and liberties that God himself has given to us. If God gives us a liberty and the government takes it away, shouldn't you have a problem with that? So likewise, if, the, if God puts a restraint in place, a law, and the government says, no, no, you have liberty to do what you want in that area, shouldn't we be concerned with that? Are you more trustful of the state official or of the creator God? So we need to, we need to uh, continue to talk about this and continue to help people to understand that it's a blessing and benefit to everyone to see God's laws acknowledged in the public and in the political square. It certainly is. And that's a good word. Thank you so much, Aaron. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock. It's super encouraging seeing this podcast growing upwards of 10,000 downloads a week. You can find more episodes on major podcasting platforms, the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network app, and of course, CJXC Radio. Tune in next week for another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock. And remember, you're loved.